Heavenly Father, we come before you recognising that we are people who do not deserve to hear your voice. But Lord, in your mercy, in your grace to us, you do speak. You call us to repentance. You call us to love you as we should. And so, Lord, as we listen to the voice of Hosea from millennia ago, oh, Lord, we pray that we would hear your voice. And, Lord, we pray that it would shape us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, as a result. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we started a new series in Hosea and we looked at Hosea chapter 1 and we saw that Hosea is this prophet who prophesied uh, during the reigns of the kings of Israel and Judah. And so I pointed out last time that uh, from the the Exodus with Moses, uh, the Israelites come to the promised land and you have eventually a kingdom uh, built up under uh, firstly Saul, then David. David's son Solomon has an immense kingdom of Israel. But after the kingdom, uh, after Solomon, King Solomon, we find that the kingdom splits into two sections. You've got Israel in the north and you've got Judah in the south. And Hosea speaks during this period. Hosea the prophet comes and speaks during that period. And we see that in Hosea chapter 1 verse 1. And so I encourage you to open up your Bibles this morning to page 889. 889 as we continue to look at Hosea together and you see in Hosea chapter 1 verse 1 that the word of the Lord came to Hosea son of Berry during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah kings of Judah and during the reign of Jeroboam son of Jehoash king of Israel. So he comes and speaks the word of God during the times of four kings of Judah and one king of Israel. And last week we saw that Hosea was called to do something that is quite shocking. Hosea the prophet was called to marry someone that would be unfaithful to him and to have children in his home who would be, who would be conceived in relationships with his wife outside of him, that she would commit acts of adultery and actually have children. And we saw those children and the meaning of those children last week and how basically Hosea's Marriage is meant to be a metaphor of the relationship between Christ, uh, between God and the church, between God and his people, the Israelites. And so as the Israelites continue to commit acts of adultery when they embrace sin, so Hosea's marriage is meant to display that, because that is what sin is. When you go off after other gods, when you embrace different sins, and you choose to do those instead of following God, God considers it an act of adultery. And so we saw how serious our sin is, that it is considered to be adultery by God. And so this week we continue looking at the words of Hosea, particularly in chapter 2 and on into verse uh, into chapter 3. And so God now speaks very plainly to the Israelites about their sin and his anger for their worship of false gods. And so that's what we'll be firstly looking at in Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2, I'll read from verse 1, which we did cover last week, where it says, Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. And then in verse 2, God begins to speak quite sternly to his bride, to his people. Hosea chapter 2, verse 2, which is found on page 889, where we read the words of God, where he says, Rebuke your mother. Rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. 
Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. See what God is doing here? He's listing their sins, and as a result, he's bringing judgment upon them, and he is going to curse them as a result. And he continues on, verse 7. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen, intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewellery and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. So we see here that God continues to speak to Israel as his bride but as a bride who has been completely unfaithful to him, who's gone off after other lovers. And as a result, God is very angry, as you would be if you're in a marriage relationship and your spouse left to commit acts of adultery. You would be very angry. And you see the anger of God here displayed as well. But then, after punishing Israel, God accepts his wife back. And that's what Hosea chapter 2 reminds us of. In verse 14 we see a, a change in the tone that the Lord uses to his bride. Verse 14, we read, Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Then I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. Here we see God showing tenderness to his bride. Yes, he was very angry for their acts of adultery, but now he woos his bride back to him and promises to bless his bride, in particularly giving peace in the land of Israel again. Now, why would God do this? Why would God seek back a bride who has been so unfaithful? Consider if you're in a marriage relationship or if you were married, would you welcome back someone who committed such acts of adultery? Would you welcome them back into relationship? Why does God do that? Why does he not curse Israel and be done with them? 
when they have worshipped other gods so regularly, when they've committed great sin against God, why would he welcome them back? Well, we see why. It says in verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, for you will acknowledge the Lord. Why will he welcome them back? Because he's a God of love. He's a God of compassion. And you see that there in that text. He says that he will betroth them back to him in love and compassion, in faithfulness. Here we see the love of God displayed. And it continues on. It says in verse 21, In that day I will respond, declares the Lord, I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Once more in verse 23 there, you see. Why is it God is doing these things? Because he loves his bride. He loves his wife. He loves his people. And will speak tenderly to them and welcome them back into relationship with him. And they will be his people once more. So chapter 2 has two tones really in it. One of God's anger and his wrath against Israel for the way that they have behaved. But then there's also this note of tenderness to them. That he will welcome them back. He will be angry with them for a time. He will allow them to chase after their lovers and feel the weight of their sin upon them and see the emptiness of their sin. But then he will welcome them back and he will do it because he's a loving God. And so then it leads into chapter 3, Hosea chapter 3, where Hosea then is meant to continue the metaphor of God's relationship with the church. So remember last week we saw that because God considers his church his bride, Hosea was meant to, by his own life, and his marriage to Gomer, his wife, show the relationship between God and his bride. So just as God's bride, Israel, was unfaithful, so Hosea was to marry Gomer, who would be unfaithful to him as well. And so if God is going to welcome back his bride after unfaithfulness, what is Hosea to do with his bride, Gomer, who has been unfaithful to him? Well, that's what Hosea chapter 3 has to tell us. Hosea chapter 3, we read verse 1, that's page 890 of the church Bibles. The Lord said to me, to Hosea, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Hosea is to go to his wife and love her, even though she has loved other men and has committed adultery with them and even born children to them, Hosea is to welcome her back with love, to pursue her in love. Why? Verse 1 tells you, Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Hosea's marriage is meant to be one that displays the relationship of God with his bride in every detail, ultimately. His marriage is meant to display the unfaithfulness of God's people to their husband, which is God, but also to display the love of God that God has for his bride. 
in welcoming back a bride who is unfaithful. And so what does Hosea do? Well, he's a good servant of the Lord, and we read in verse 2, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, and about a homer, and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Hosea goes and buys Gomer back. That's interesting that he has to purchase her. There's different theories as to why he would buy her. It could be that she's become a prostitute, and so Hosea is acting as another pimp to another pimp and actually having to purchase her back as she is now a slave to that person. So some man has her and is using her, hiring her out for sex. And so Hosea goes to him and says, look, I want to buy her for keeps. She will be mine from now on. She will no longer be under your jurisdiction. And so he buys her back. It's interesting how little he has to pay. 15 shekels is a very small amount of silver. Um, if you look down in the footnote of the NIV translation you've got there, it says that's about six ounces or 170 grams. Think of how little 170 grams weighs, and that's how much of silver he used. And he even was able to make it up with some barley. He was able to trade in. It looks like Hosea doesn't have much money if he couldn't pay the full price. Uh, he's not a wealthy man. But uh, the, the person who owned Gomer was willing to accept some of the lowest type of food at the time, that of barley. It wasn't wheat, it was barley that he gave. And so Hosea goes and purchases her back. It may be that she had a debt owing, that she could run herself up some sort of debt, and she wasn't allowed to leave until that was paid. And so uh, Hosea pays that. But it shows how little... Gomer's life was worth at this stage. She was welcomed by so many men, but now she can be bought for a small amount of silver and a little bit of food. Her life is pretty much worthless after she's run after all her lovers. And so Hosea welcomes her back, and she is to be devoted to him from now on. She's no longer to be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and she's meant to live with Hosea. And so we see in this passage, in Hosea chapter 2 and Hosea chapter 3, the love of God displayed so marvellously. Yes, we see his wrath against those who sin against him. But we see that he welcomes them back with arms of love. Yes, he allows his wife to be ruined by her sin, but even that is an act of love in itself, where he lets us go off after sin, but in time we see the emptiness of it. We see that with Gomer, that she's... She's come to this point where nobody wants her. And Hosea is welcome to come and purchase her for a very small amount. And that's often how we are. We feel, as we fill ourselves with sin, that we've actually made our lives pretty worthless. And who would want us? Would God want us back after all the sin that we've committed against him? How could he desire us again when we've been so rebellious? He's been so kind. And yet then we squandered his kindness. But we see in Hosea chapter 2 and 3 that God's love welcomes us back, even when we've sinned against him so grievously. And this is the message of the whole of the Bible. We see that picked up in the New Testament as well, this idea that we are the bride of Christ, that Christ is God himself, he is the groom, and we are his bride, and he loves us so much that he would lay down his life for us. 
even as we're rebels against him, even as we're unfaithful to the God who made us, God himself lays down his life, purchases us by his own blood, far more precious than the little bit of silver and barley that Hosea bought Gomer with. He bought us by his own blood. And so if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I encourage you to embrace God today. The God who made this world, the King of kings and Lord of lords, offers you a marriage relationship with him. A marriage where you're betrothed to him in the terms that are given to us in verse 19 and 20 of Hosea chapter 2. How did God betroth the people of Israel? It says in verse 19, I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I'll betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. You'll be married to God Forever, it says there in verse 19. And it will be in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion, in faithfulness. God will never leave you or forsake you once you are married to him. So just consider one of the best marriages that you know in this world. Maybe it's your own marriage. Maybe it's a marriage of somebody else. And think of the love and the faithfulness, the compassion, the righteousness in that marriage. It's nothing compared to the marriage relationship that you can have with the living God where he will be faithful to you in a way that no other person on the planet has ever been faithful to you. He'll be loving to you in a way that no person on this planet has ever been loving to you. He'll be compassionate to you in a way that no one in this world has ever been compassionate to you when you've done wrong to them. He will forgive your grievances that you have caused against him. All your sins, he will forgive and welcome you with loving arms. You may have been bitterly disappointed with people in this world. And you have every right to be. People in this world are sinners. They will hurt you day after day. The God who reigns supreme, the God that has displayed himself in Jesus Christ, come into this world in the flesh, he never disappoints. He always loves you. And so I encourage you, if you're not a Christian, trust in Jesus Christ today. Come to him, be married to him, and enjoy a relationship with him that surpasses all relationships of this world. Because it carries on not just for now, but for all of eternity. And if you are a Christian and you're here this morning, like Hosea, I believe you're called to mimic this love of Hosea for Gomer in your relationships. We're repeatedly told in the Bible to be holy as God is holy and to love as God loves. He is our example as to how we are to love those around us. And so the marriage relationships that we have in this world are some of the best displays of this aspect of God's love as shown in Hosea. When a spouse sins grievously against you, you have a right to be angry. Sin is serious. When the person that has committed their life to you to walk with you Throughout this world, sins against you, it hurts. It really hurts. Particularly if it's an act of sexual immorality. If they've had a relationship outside of the marriage, it will really hurt. And I've seen great anger in people for sexual relationships outside the marriage. A husband can get very irate with a wife if he believes that she's been unfaithful to him. 
And yes, God does give grounds, in the New Testament particularly, that you can divorce someone if they are sexually immoral, if they have been unfaithful to you. And that is taught to us in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And so some people go to a passage like that and they start to think, well, my spouse hurts me in that way, then automatically I should divorce that person. Look with me at that passage now. Matthew chapter 19, page 975. 975, Matthew 19, and I'll read from verse 3. So Jesus is continuing his ministry, and large crowds are following him. In Matthew chapter 19, we read, though, in verse 3, page 975, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? These Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus out in his words. What does he say in verse 4? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. What is Jesus saying there? He's teaching them from Genesis that marriage is meant to be for life. That man is not meant to separate a marriage relationship. You're not supposed to get divorced. Pharisees can't help themselves, so they continue in verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Why did Moses in the law allow divorce? Jesus replies, verse 8. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Jesus says the only reason Moses gave you divorce is because you were divorcing one another anyway and he allowed you to do so. He gave you special um, requirements of how divorce should occur. He wasn't encouraging you to divorce one another. It is meant to be for life. It was only because your hearts were hard that he had to put extra stipulations in about divorce into the law. But you see there in verse 9, he says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And so here we see the grace of God when it comes to marriage relationships that when it comes to sexual immorality, God does allow divorce under those circumstances. Because it is such a grievous sin. It is such a breaking of the marriage covenant that was made with one another that we would be faithful to one another for the rest of our lives. And then you go and do that. So Jesus allows an exception with unfaithfulness. But the thing is, we shouldn't jump to that conclusion that as soon as your spouse commits an act of adultery, that you automatically think, well, we're going to divorce now. Because marriage is meant to be even greater than that, if possible. Because we see that with God and his relationship with his people. We have been so unfaithful to him, but he continues to welcome us back. And Hosea is an example of that, where Gomer was unfaithful to him, but he didn't say, oh, she's committed an act of adultery, I can get out of the marriage now. No, he welcomes her back. Marriage is supposed to be for life. That is what God intended, and that's what Jesus pushes here. He said from Genesis that it's meant to be for life. And then he said it's only because your hearts were hard that Moses allowed you to divorce under certain circumstances. 
But the, we see the disciples understand what Jesus is teaching, that it is for life, because of the horror that they show. In verse 10, it says in verse 10, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. If marriage is for life, and you're not supposed to get divorced, then it's better not to marry. And Jesus responds with, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this, this should accept it. He's saying there that some do not get married. They've been given different gifts by the Lord in the ability not to marry. But if, though, if you do marry, it is supposed to be for life. And so we as Christians are called to overlook the many sins of our spouses, even serious sins. There may be an anger towards your spouse for what they've done, just as God was angry with the Israelites, but there should be effort to overcome all sin within the marriage, even serious sin of unfaithfulness. There should be some effort made at least to overcome it. Overcome it with what? With the same attributes that God displayed in overcoming the unfaithfulness of his bride, the attributes of love, compassion, faithfulness. But why would you bother showing such love to your spouse, or to anyone for that matter? Because that's what we're supposed to do. It's not just marriage relationships that we're supposed to show love and compassion to those who wrong us. We may have someone... You may not be in a marriage relationship or you may be in a marriage relationship and somebody outside the marriage has hurt you in some way. You may even have a grievance against someone for something that happened in the last week. They've hurt you, seriously, and it is a great sin. What does God call you to do under such circumstances? He calls you to love your enemies. You're meant to show compassion and forgiveness as God has shown compassion and forgiveness to his people. But why would you bother doing that? Why would you show love to someone at work who's hurt you so badly? Or a family member? Or your spouse? Same reason Hosea showed love to Gomer, who'd been so terrible to him in abandoning him for other lovers. It's to show God's love. That's why Hosea was called to love Gomer, ultimately. It wasn't about his personal happiness. It would have been very difficult for him to do so. It was to show the love of God, to display the love of God to his people. And that's what happens when you love someone who hurts you terribly, whether it be your spouse or somebody outside the marriage. We live in an age where if someone hurts you, it's your right to pay them back, to get everything you possibly can from that person again. That's the way the world lives. You see it on the news all the time. Much of the turmoil that's going on in the Middle East is because people are defending their rights instead of showing love and compassion to those who wrong them. That's the way the world lives. If someone hurts you, you hurt them back. But that's not the way that God teaches us to behave. And so when you love someone who has hurt you, the world sits up and takes notice often. They say, how could you welcome back your spouse when they have hurt you so badly? How could you welcome back that family member? How could you continue to love them and show them kindness and compassion when they've hurt you so terribly? Walk away from them. Hurt them if possible, if possible at all to repay them for what they've done. And so when you love that person in return, 
The world notices, just like people would have noticed Hosea. Like, why are you going back to Gomer? You're a prophet. You're not supposed to be with such a woman. The Israelites would have really noticed. That's why God did it. It wasn't just that he spoke the word, Hosea. He lived what God was doing with his people so that people would pay attention. They'd just ignore him if he was talking, probably. But once he starts doing things that are absurd to them, they start to notice. And that's the same for us today. You have a wonderful opportunity when someone wrongs you to love them so that then people will notice and ask you why. And when they ask you why, you can be like Hosea and tell them why. I love that person because God loves me despite all the wrong I've committed against him. He continues to show love and compassion to me despite my unfaithfulness. So, of course, I will show love and compassion to someone who is unfaithful to me, to someone who has wronged me. I will continue to love that person because God has loved me. And then you have an opportunity to say to them, Do you realize that you've hurt God many times? He's your creator and you've rebelled against him. But he welcomes you with love if you will turn to him in repentance and faith. And so you have a gospel opportunity. By the way that you live in love and compassion while the rest of the world thinks about justice and rights, you can create gospel opportunities. Just like Hosea had a gospel opportunity with the Israelites of his day by the way that he behaved with Gomer. And then when you fail to love as well. So that's one reason why we should love those around us. We should behave like uh, like Hosea towards Gomer. But sometimes it is very difficult to do so. And we fail at loving in that way. When a spouse wrongs you grievously, is unfaithful to you, Jesus allows grace in that circumstance that some people, they just can't get over it. And so you can walk out of the marriage because it is too terrible. And so you may think about someone that has hurt you at work and think, how can I ever show love to that person? How can I do what God does with Hosea and Gomer? How can I display that love there? Well, when you fail to love someone who hurts you, whether a spouse or somebody else, it helps us to remember the superiority of God's love. It's marvellous, the love of God. It transcends our understanding. You think of people that you've tried to love who have hurt you and how hard it is for you to love them after what they've done to you. Yet God does that again and again and again to you. His love is so marvellous. It is beyond our comprehension in many regards. It is supernatural. It goes against what we would believe is the right thing to do. God's love is so marvellous, so powerful, that it can overcome our repeated unfaithfulness towards him. And so this encourages us as Christians. When we fail to love those around us as we should, it reminds us of how wonderful God's love is, that we can't mimic it very well at all. We sometimes do, but often we fail which demonstrates how wonderful the love of God actually is and encourages us to keep going back to him and keep marvelling at his love. Marvel at it by reading the pages of the scriptures. Marvel at it by praising him in prayer and even songs. There are so many good songs. It was hard to which ones to choose today about the love of God because 
People have written marvellously about this love because it is a marvellous love. We as Christians often fail to love as God does. We should keep striving to do so as Hosea did with Gomer. But when we fail, we should remember that indicates how wonderful God's love is. That it's beyond those around us and beyond even ourselves to love in the way that God does. Yet he does love us in that way. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we must confess that we do not love those around us as we should. We're imperfect displays of your love in our marriages, in the relationships with those outside our marriages. Lord, we ask that you would help us to improve, to show your love that you have for your people by the way that we love those around us. But Lord, as we often fail, we then come and marvel at your love once more. We praise you for having a love that transcends our understanding, that is beyond us to mimic perfectly. And So Lord, we thank you that you are a God who continues to love us despite our unfaithfulness. Help us to embrace you more and more and bask in the love that you show towards your bride, even though she is often unfaithful. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.